0: MotoGP has been the high point of motorcycle racing for 20 years now, but there's been one man who has been just as influential in the results as the riders were themselves. Livio Supo was the team principal of Ducati when they entered the MotoGP paddock in 2003, and from a podium at that very first race, and a win six races later, Ducati went on to win the World Championship with Casey Stoner just five seasons later. But leaving Ducati for HRC, Supo again was the team principal in a different shirt and oversaw Honda to win the last year in the 800cc regulations in 2011, again with the Australian Stoner. No other team principal has won the MotoGP title with two teams, but Supo has. And here we have him today, joining me, Toby Moody, on our The Dash Race podcast. Uh, Livio and I first met at Shah Alarm in 1996. He was standing by a fridge in the HRC garage and he was wearing a, a Benetton shirt. How did that happen, Livio? Why were you in the MotoGP paddock? Why were you wearing a Benetton shirt?
1: Uh, First of all, thanks very much for uh, the introduction. I think I don't deserve uh, such such great words. But anyway, thanks. Uh, Well, uh, my my story in MotoGP was this happened basically uh, by casualty. I mean, at the end of the day, I I had a big passion for motorcycle since when I was really young. When I was 11, I had my first motorcycle. Uh, And I was super lucky that a friend of Alessandro Benetton uh, had a friend in uh, HRC. It was Fabio Barquita, do you remember? Former rider. And, uh, at that time, he was uh, uh, was working for HRC as uh, you know the service for the 125 and 250 clients' bike, not the factory okay. bike. You remember yeah. at that time, there was the factory bikes and uh, the kit A, kit B, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So at the end of the day, through this guy, Benetton, had the request from HRC to be sponsored for the clothing on the team, the reps on the team. And uh, Alessandro Pimentón liked the idea. My boss, Massimo Garbazzo, he knew had a passion for motorcycle, so he asked me if I wanted to follow this project, and he course, wow, of course. Said, well, of course. <laughs> so that's what, how everything started. We were back in 1995, and at that time, we were sponsoring the uh, reps around the team and the two fifty avocado with the Benetton sport system stickers on the bike, and providing the clothing to the team. And uh, and so, in, in, as, I, as we said before, in ninety five uh, we did uh, only a few races. And in ninety five, HRC asked uh, uh, Benetton if we were interested in sponsoring the two fifty, the factory two fifty bike. So we did the deal. Um, to have basically all the spaces on the fairing and on the ladders of, uh, of uh, Ukawa that was the rider, available for Benetton to resell to other sponsors. Um, so I had this idea to paint the bike with the same color scheme of the Formula One. That was uh, in reality, the mile seven color scheme is basically white, uh, light blue and dark blue uh my seven is a um, Japanese uh, cigarettes owned by japan tobacco that is not sold outside japan so in Italy or at least in europe but that color because Schumacher won two titles with that color became synonymous of benetton more than my seven nobody knew what the hell it was and uh, so i i thought to to you know use the um the the fact that Benetton Formula at the time was super famous, because Michael Schumacher won ninety four ninety five if I'm not wrong, uh, to attract new sponsors and I start doing what basically what lujo is doing now. Uh, it means change title sponsor every Grand Prix. Uh, lujo also changed the livery of the bike. I was keeping the same livery, just changing. Uh, in the main side of the fairing on the top. And I mean, in some particular area, I change the stickers or I change the patches on, on, on the leather. And if I found the sponsor, outside sponsor, I put the logo of the outside sponsor. If I didn't find the outside sponsor, I used the brands of the transport system like Nordica, Rollerblade, and stuff like that. Uh, so we did 96 like that. Um, we did 97 like that, but then it was clear to me that without uh, an Italian rider, we were based in Italy. Of course, it was barely impossible to find a sponsor to cover all the all the costs. So I bring uh, uh, Valentino Rossi to Ponza, Benet, I mean, to the headquarters of, uh, of Benetton. Um, I we had a meeting with uh, the two. Benetton Brothers, Alessandro, and Mauro. And at the end of the meeting, when we remained alone, uh, the Benetton Brothers told me, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, We were in 97. Um, We were offering him to leave Aprilia and join Honda to go into the 50. Because Honda wanted to do it, but they didn't want to do as Honda. They prefer if Benetton did it. And the Benetton Brothers told me... Yeah, it, a, I think it's a good idea. It's a, it's a good uh, character. But if you find the money with the sponsors, you can do it. And uh, at that time, Valentino was already looking for, I mean, now peanuts, but at that time was serious money. It was still Italian liras. If I well remember, he was looking for 700 million lira. That was, it's about 350,000 euros. Yeah. Uh, that nowadays is something reasonable but at that time was a lot of money uh, so I thought about it a little bit and then uh, you know it was impossible to close the deal with Vale because I need to have the sponsor before but it was almost impossible to find a sponsor telling if you give me the money I will sign Valentino <laughs> you should yeah. go there you and say all, yeah. Valentino do you want to sponsor me? So I had a, a moment of uh, down, basically, losing motivation. Uh, but
0: none of us knew how good Valentino was. We knew he was good on a 1-2-5, but we had no idea that he would nearly uh, win the 98 championship on 250 in his first year. Anyway, uh,
1: after this uh, down, right. I started thinking, what can I do? Because I need an Italian rider. And the name was Marco Menandri. So I went to Rijeka and then also to Mugello to watch him. Uh, I liked him. He was 15 years old, so super young, or 14, maybe, I don't remember. Um, and uh, and okay, he, the deal was done. It was 60 million liras of 30,000 euros to for the rider. Then we did a deal with uh, Matteoni to run the 125, because HSC didn't run the uh, the of the 125. And so in 1998, we had the 1 to 5 with Marco Menandri and nine, and 250 with Ukawa. The bikes were painted the same color with Play Life logo that at that time has replaced the pen Transport System logo. And, uh, and the rest is history because I think the season of Menandri in 1998 was unbelievable. Uh, he won in uh, in Assen. Uh, he was in, in a certain point the uh, title contender. I think, uh, if I remember, the first season of Marco was even better than the first season of Valentino in one to find it. But his potential was huge, and strange enough, in that moment, Alessandro Grandoni, instead of being super happy of the results, uh, he told me that he didn't want to follow anymore the this project. That it was true that with the win of uh, Melandri we had a good coverage, but if Melandri, instead of winning, would have been killed in an accident, the bad ad- ad- advertise advertising we should have got would have been much, much bigger than the good one we got because he won. Uh, so my feeling is that probably his father, that is the, you know, the famous Luciano Benetton, probably he neither knew that we were running this one-to-five team with a, a 15-year-old boy. And when Marco won in Italy, of course, we had a huge coverage, the front page of Gazzetta dello Sport or whatever. And my feeling is that after that, then the father realized, and then he was complaining (laughs) with uh, Alessandro. So I said, you know what? I go with my money. I mean, I buy a ticket to go to Japan and go to HRC, and I try to convince HRC to sign with me to manage uh, the marketing stuff because, uh, as we all know, Japanese are super good in technical stuff, but with the marketing, things are a little bit less... um, they, they don't care. It just is a engineers company. And generally speaking, a Japanese company usually is not so good on the marketing side. And as you know, with Japanese, it doesn't. It's not that you go there, you speak, and you say, "Okay, let's go." Uh, Nakamoto-san was not there. <laughs> the Nakamoto would have been easier. So we came back, and after two or three months, they gave us a letter that allowed us to look for sponsor for HRC. That was not really what I wanted. I mean, I, w- I didn't want to be just a kind of ad sports agency to look for sponsor for HRC. In the meantime, I was lucky enough that Ducati called me to be the marketing guy of uh, Superbike. And, I, and then I start thinking what I do, I try to convince HRC that they need me Or I accept the offer from Ducati that it's true, it's not in MotoGP, it's in Superbike. And at that time, like it or not, Superbike was a kind of a Series B, you say in football. But it's true that Ducati was in a way the Ferrari on two wheels. They were dominating Superbike. And more than this, they were asking me to join. Mm. So in 1999, I joined Ducati. At the time, they just created Ducati Corso. It was... a separate company from ducati motor Holding, uh, just uh, focused on racing and of course being the marketing guy i had the uh, the main responsibility was to collect sponsor for the superbike and uh, we are in 1999 i think in after a few months in 2000 uh, if i remember in the 99 or 2000 fim announced that in 2002 the 500 will uh, change the rules, allowing also to race together 500, two strokes and uh, 1,990 1,994 uh, stroke. Then uh, I start uh, speaking with Claudio and Filippo, Claudio Domenicali, at the time, that was the CEO of Ducati Corsa and Filippo Preziosi was the technical director saying, Ducati is the king of four-stroke because Ducati was the king of superbike, the only four-stroke race at the time. We have to go. I mean, we can. I mean, this is a huge opportunity. And then at the beginning was not easy. I remember we went with Claudio to Imola in nineteen ninety-nine, introducing to Carmelo. I was the only one in Ducati that had experience in MotoGP, no? And uh, we start thinking, so. At the end, I convinced Claudio and Filippo, and then we had to convince uh, the board of direction of of, of of the company. At that time, there was uh, Federico Minoli as a CEO. And Federico was, uh, Federico, I think, is a marketing genius. He's very, very clever. and uh, uh, So he, he was interested, but of course, it was a very difficult decision because basically it was, Ducati was dominating superbike and we had no guarantee at all that moving in MotoGP we could have been able to be competitive. So the big question mark was, do we want to remain the big fish in the small lake or do we want to, to try to be at least a small fish in the big lake? At the end, we decided to to try. So it's, it was true that we were very strong. And it was true that at that time, the Superbike Championship saw direct uh, effort of uh, almost all the companies. was Kawasaki, there was Honda, there was Yamaka, there was Suzuki. Uh, so it was really expensive to race in Superbike. Uh, and that's why I think it was one, one, of, one of the reasons why the Japanese were happy to push MotoGP to become for so because at, at the end of the of the 90s, I am sure I know that uh, the HSC program with the RC45 was more expensive than the MotoGP program with the uh, with NSR 500.
0: So you're at Ducati and you got them into MotoGP, but was it you that got the biggest sponsor of all with Marlboro? How did that happen? That happened in a very
1: strange way because as soon as we start thinking about the project, I sent, uh, I remember I had a nice brochure of uh, Ducati activities and stuff like that. And I sent it to the people I knew from my experience in MotoGP in Philip morris And we sent everything saying, we are considering joining MotoGP. Ducati is uh, the Ferrari on two wheels. We should be happy to speak with you because the association of uh, the red Ferrari and the Marlboro has been very successful in Formula One. Don't forget is the... nowadays still the only tobacco company sponsorship alive. Uh, and I thought that was possible to replicate this uh, with uh, with us. So we, we we had this first meeting and they said to us, you know, MotoGP we are not interested because in MotoGP we need to win and we need to be with, and to win you need to be with Honda or Yamaha. We are with Yamaha, we are happy, so we are not interested in MotoGP. But it could be interesting in something in Superbike. So we started the LM project with Ben Boston. You remember?
0: I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And funny yeah. enough, LM was a brand of cigarettes owned by Philip Morris that paid the sponsorship with an Italian budget. But LM brand in Italy didn't exist at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it means they clearly just wanted to check how we were working. In 2001, Jerez, we announced that Ducati would have reached the MotoGP class in 2003.
0: You came was to the a commentary uh, box with Claudio.
1: Yeah, correct. And we have, you have you a nice picture of uh, you, me, and uh, Guido Meda. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had hair. And so we did this kind of uh, <laughs> press conference with just uh, Claudio, I think Federico Mignoli, myself. This was 2001. In 2002, in Mugello, we show for the first time the prototype. The main sponsor of the bike was Infostrada. Yeah, and Infostrada was the main sponsor of the Superbike project because in 2001 and 2, I sold to the sponsors the Superbike plus the communication program of uh, MotoGP because it was a add value, you know. So it was a way to add to have more money. Uh, then we arrived in September, if I remember, Misano Race of Superbike, uh, where uh, Philip Morris had a very nice uh, big village uh, just in front of the last corner. Uh, they asked uh, to do a meeting there. And basically, they said, you know what? We would like to see that bike with Marlboro Logan. Wow. <laughs> I was super happy. Yeah. I had a problem because I already signed a contract with Infostrada. But it was a big opportunity. So we did this. Uh, we didn't do a, just a layout on paper. We did a, a proper bike with, on one side, uh, the same uh, color scheme of the Yamaha at the time. It was basically white right on the bottom, Marlboro, and then everything red. And on the other side, the delivery that then was the delivered of the debut of the MotoGP with the Classical uh, Mar- or- 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 from this. and there was Maurizio Rebavine checking
0: and everything. And they like it, you know. so we signed this first contract. So then you you know you had Loris Caporossi, you had Troy Bayliss, you had the best sounding bike, the noisiest bike in the pit, pit lane. It won at Catalonia. Great days, but everybody knows about the emotion. Everybody knows the results, but what was it like for you as a team principal then dealing with with riders with managers with Carlo Panat and people like that that was a that was a new step for you what was it like
1: yeah absolutely it was a big step because uh, one thing i mean at the time we were in 2003 i was uh, almost 40 okay i was not that young but I was not a former writer. I was not a former chief engineer or whatever. Um, So I had to manage, uh, for example, many people thought that I was not uh, the best, I had not the best background to manage the team. Probably I was the first team principal of a factory team that was not coming from that world since the beginning. It's a vision that is more as a manager, more than as a rider. A former rider is a former rider, like it or not. I mean, with all respect, but when they were young, they were racing. (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't study, you didn't work in different companies, you didn't have the the opportunity to try to understand how to manage different things, you know? And uh, I think that to deal with uh, workers or mechanics in a paddock, uh, at the end of the day is is uh, always people you know and uh, so i think uh, honestly speaking i know i've been criticized many times also in, inside the company uh, but i think i've done a reasonable job
0: bridgestone you took bridgestone over the michelins uh, you've explained to me in the past when maybe we've been in a hotel in an evening, having a beer, yeah. why you took Bridgestone. But just tell people why you took Bridgestone. What was that risk?
1: Yeah, 2003 was even too much, you know, behind the expectation because we, I, I think uh, it's impossible that a company, a small company, because Ducati at the time was really small, that joined the top class uh, is so successful in the first season. Honestly speaking, I think we did everything very good. Uh, difficult to replicate uh 2004 we came back to reality in 2004 we find out how difficult was MotoGP because probably on the enthusiasm of 2003 we changed the bike a lot in the meantime Michelin changed the front tire diameter uh, then we lost the balance Yeah, you know, Loris lost the feeling with the front you remember Loris in 2003 was the bike was moving a lot on the rear, but he was very confident with the front. And once, if if uh, Loris was confident on the front, was unbeatable. That's why he had a, such a big advantage with Bridgestone, because the front of Bridgestone has been very, very good always. Uh, so in 2004, we were struggling a lot, knowing that struggling for Ducati was very dangerous because if we lose the Marlboro sponsorship, we had to stay home because the company alone cannot afford the MotoGP budget. Uh, It was clear in my mind that the coverage we got in Barcelona 2003 when we won the first race, huge. So I thought we need to win two races a year to survive because Ferrari doesn't win since a long time. I mean, between the last title of Schecter, I'm correct? Yes. And and uh, the first title of uh, Schumacher yes. was about 20 years, if I'm not wrong. So Ducati is a, such a strong brand that, uh, no, sorry, Ferrari is such a strong brand that if they remain com- enough competitive, I mean, if you remain one of the main guys, you can survive even if you don't win, because You are smaller than the others. You are... uh, But the coolness of the brand allows you to stay alive, even if you don't win the championship. But You have to be competitive. You have to win a couple of races. So I thought it's better to win two races and finish out of top 10 in others, more than to finish every time fifth. If you finish fifth every time after the season you have done in 2003, you look like a stupid. And then I started watching... Otto Tamada, that was coming from the Japanese superbike. Um, at that time, I mean, he was the only rider coming from superbike that was able to win races. We had at that time Troy Bayliss, Colin Edwards, Nicky Aiden. Tamada never won the Japanese superbike. He was the only one able to win races. Mm. Okay, he's racing with a Honda, but that cannot be only that. There must be something very special in this time. Then it was a Monday after race test in Estoril. I rang Claudio and Fidipa and said, You know what? I think we should go to Bridgestone. And they were like, are you, are you drunk in the morning? <laughs> because clearly, from an engineering point of view, Mission at that time was, with no doubt, the best tire in MotoGP. So, but I, you know, I, I was famous to be a pain in the ass. If I have an idea, I was pushing, pushing, pushing. And after some push, both Cloud, and three are very clever. They say, if this crazy guy has this idea, maybe there's something good. And they say, OK, but now let's try to evaluate more technically how Bridgestone is growing from 2003 to 2004. And then I did a lot of uh, Excel files in which it was clear, analyzing uh, uh, the total gap of the first Bridgestone rider to the to the winner of the race, and uh, from the best lap in the race to the again, from that. and uh, the graphic clearly showed that Bridgestone was catching. Then we start speaking with Bridgestone, and we had a very strong negotiation because you remember. In 2004, they had the problem with the Nakano and the Kawasaki in Mugello. the oh,
0: They explode in front of my Remember. country box. Yeah,
1: And uh, I think the race after in Barcelona, something similar happened to Kamada. Not such a big drama, but something strange again. So basically, Honda said to Bridgestone, finito, we don't want you anymore. Uh, so they... The only way to remain in MotoGP was a Suzuki and Kawasaki that at the time they were not super competitive. So we had a big opportunity and we started a strong negotiation where we were trying to get kind of exclusivity to have the tires, to, to drive together with Bridgestone to develop of the tire. We built up a team to Devil retired with, with uh, Ito, son, you remember? Yeah. And Bridgestone invest a lot of money and uh, and the results uh, were getting better and better because already in 2005, Lawrence won two races. In 2006, he won four races, almost won the championship, probably without the crash in Barcelona. He was able to win the, cha- the championship.
0: 23 points was the difference and yet he crashed in Barcelona, so didn't score and there.
1: Then he had a big problem in the uh,
0: ninth. He didn't have a good string of results and yet so close, just one race yeah. win behind Nicky. Yeah,
1: yeah. and How I mean, that, that championship was really tight uh, because in, in that point there was uh, Nicky, Vale, Dani uh, and uh, and Lois. So we, in Valencia 2004, we, Saturday night, we signed the conference and the, the Bridgestone deal uh, started.
0: Sete Giubanao, he never recovered after Barcelona, And then he fell at the penultimate race of the year at Estoril. Yeah, was it that Sunday night? Do
1: you remember why he crashed, Casey? I wanted to kill myself.
0: (laughs) So, but, but, so, so, but you, I seem to remember you told me something about Estoril two thousand and six. Did you sign Casey before the race or after the race? And who was your number one choice for? Already, do, the I mean, the
1: negotiation with the sister of Seth basically ended up uh, Friday or Saturday. I don't remember. And uh, the negotiation with the father of Casey was uh, was very quick. So we, I had to meet Casey after the race to sign. So that's why I was when I saw Casey smashing Sade's <laughs> A. But
0: but weren't you trying to get Melandri or? You got no, that
1: was got... a clever idea of Mr. Maurizio Rivabene that at that time was the big boss of Marlboro and uh, he didn't want to have Casey on board uh, and he said to Claudio you are allowed to sign Casey if you sign the same day also Melandi for the year after because Grezzini uh, exercises option to keep Melandi in 2007 and the uh, so Maurizio Trivabene was in love with Melandri. believed that Melandri was the new Valentino. And so he said to us, okay, you sign Casey for 2007, only if you sign the same day Melandri for 2008. For us, was uh, a mistake, first of all, because uh, what you do with Loris. Okay, 2007 for Loris was not such a good season because he won only one race in uh, Motegi. But he had, uh, if I remember, more or less half of the point uh, Of Casey at the end of the season. So, um, but we were not sure that Melendi was the good, the right, the correct replacement. Anyway, it was strange to us to sign before the start of the season, before the end of the the previous season, with a new rider. You never know.
0: But what was your first impression of Casey Stoner at the end of that 2006 season? What What was that?
1: Well, my feeling was that for sure he had a huge talent. I said in many interviews that I, my personal, that the biggest regret I have of my career is that I had a conversation with the Colin stoner in uh, Bernal 2005, when we were speaking with Sete. And instead of signing Casey, we signed Sete. Well, that was, I think, my my biggest mistake, because I believe if you look at the result of... uh, loris in 2007 and casey in 2007 uh, i can imagine that casey in 2006 would have been able to do what mark has done in
0: 2015. you could have won the championship oh i agree i agree yeah yeah but you didn't do badly in 2007 uh he won his first race on ducati at qatar Yes. Sona finished every single one of the 18 races that year and yet he was only off the podium in four Grand Prix. Do you now look back at that season and go, that was it, that was my zenith, that was the top?
1: You know, Casey was uh, in 2007 was in a kind of uh, magic moment. You remember he started in 250 with Lucho, mm-hmm. super young, he had crazy crashes because he was super fast, but crashed a lot. Too. Uh, and that came the nickname of Rolling Stone. Huh? I remember there was a crash in maybe Velcom. It was with the 250, really horrendous. Yeah. Uh, and then he moved back to 125. Uh, he never won the title. In 250, he was super fast, but he never won the title. But the first season in MotoGP was really impressive. Because uh, it was- Front with his first race. He signed for 2006, eh, together with Carlos Checa, eh, for Sito Pons. Do you remember? He had to race with Sito Pons and a Honda. Then suddenly, Camo left Sito and went to yamaka And Sito said, you know what? I don't have the sponsor. Sorry, I cannot race. And Honda uh, helped Lujo to do the MotoGP. So basically, Casey's career has been always quite <laughs> strange and difficult. <coughs> in 2007, he felt home. For the first time in his life, he felt that the, the tire manufacturer was totally on his side. The mind of the riders is very important. And Casey in 2007 was super happy and uh, felt comfortable. He felt to have a company behind him. He felt to have Bridgestone behind him. And he was a super nice guy and everything was easy. And uh, I mean, when Casey was like, what did that? He was super easy to work with and uh, a pleasure because first of all, if you have passion for motorcycle to see Casey riding a bike is something unbelievable.
0: Even us on the outside of the team could feel the the atmosphere was yeah, yeah, With
1: that, It's so so cute with Adriana, these two young guys that didn't go to Honeymoon because they had to come to the Madonna di Campiglio event. You remember?
0: Yeah, in the snow. In the Casey,
1: Casey has told me this for years, <laughs> accusing yeah. me that ah, yeah. Anyway, this is crazy. You know. yeah,
0: anyway, yeah. but you know, then in you know the year after with the number one plate, it it was still winning races. It wasn't so good. Um, the bike maybe wasn't so good. A bit like the difference between zero three bike and the zero four bike. Um, mm. How did you view it? Mm. I think
1: the biggest problem, and that was something that made me really, really disappointed with Richard. Okay, our country with Bridgestone were saying that two thousand five, six, seven, we had exclusivity. No other factory team except Suzuki and uh, Kawasaki can be can run on Bridgestone because we said, okay, we are taking a big risk. We want, uh, we don't want that if the tires work properly, Honda and Yamaha sign, and unfortunately. Uh, in 2008, uh, they gave the tires also to Valentino. You remember? They yeah. started the season with the uh, Harg on Mission and Valentino on uh, on Bridgestone. This was something that started to create a problem in Casey's mind. Because uh, in 2007, all the Mission, oh, all the Bridgestone guys, were in our garage. In 2008, there were more people in, in Valentino. Garrison in our garage and already this, you know, Casey was like <clears throat> uh stupid things. They used Valentina as a testimonial for their advertising That's and not right. Casey.
0: That's right. I remember the posters, yeah.
1: Then you start uh when they bring a new tires to test, then uh you start to have the feeling that they give the tires that Valentino prefer, not that Casey prefer. You know, all these things doesn't help the rider to be calm. And uh, then arrives at uh, the famous Laguna Seca. Okay, the beginning of the season, we were struggling with the bike because we had the, the variable trumpets that at the beginning didn't work properly. Uh, we fixed it in after the Barcelona test. And after that, Casey was much faster, much better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we arrived in Laguna Seca. In Laguna Seca, He was dominating the World Weekend in an embarrassing way. He was back, like in 2007, unbeatable.
0: He he was going to win the race by a
1: kilometer. kilometer. Valentino is Valentino. Valentino has a huge experience. And he knew that Casey's advantage was from the cross-queue to the finish line. So Valentino knew very well that he had not to allow... Casey to stay in front f- from the course crew to the finish line because in that part of the circuit probably it was three or four times seconds faster than Vale. So once you take that gap, uh, child. and Valentino did a kind of miracle, honestly, uh, except that to finish the miracle he did an overtake that at the moment more people recognize was after the rules. But at that time, if you try to tell somebody that was out of the rules, you were touched like uh, you are a uh, an idiot and uh, absolutely not. And I went to the race direction after the race. "Ah, You cannot complain, you cannot do a protest because uh, uh, he didn't do it deliberately. I mean, honestly bullshit because clearly, I mean, the rules are clear. If you overtake and after you overtake, you go out of the circuit, you have to give back the position. And uh, and that was a big, uh, Issue for Casey because you remember after that we went to first Berno and then Misano, and yeah. in both races, Casey was dominating, crashing when he was leading.
0: Oh, yeah, because then he, he you remember oh,
1: God. he wanted not to beat Valentino, he wanted to destroy everybody, he wanted just to. He was so disappointed for Dave. you know, you know, Casey, Casey, yeah, if he feared that something bad has done to him, then he. It become crazy. Mm. And um, and I remember McDuan sent to my email a letter to give to Casey and of course I read it and it was super nice because it was saying something like uh, if you remember me myself back in 1995 when I was almost losing the title against uh, Taral Pitti because I didn't want to win. I just wanted to destroy everybody and wanted to win with a big margin. And then I take a, a week off and went holiday somewhere with uh, Selena. And I realized that it was not necessary to win by 10 seconds. It was enough to win by one-tenth of a second. This was not enough to calm uh, Casey. And at the end of the day, Valentino won the title more for the experience than for the speed.
0: How, how did you go from Ducati to HRC, or back to HRC, if we go all the way to, to, the, to the beginning of the podcast, okay. how did the Honda thing happen? Um, again, in a
1: very strange way, I, I was <laughs> in Barcelona, 2009, in the paddock, and uh, Nakamoto-san come close to me, I met him a few times because Nakamoto-san was there since the beginning of 2009, because before he was in Formula One. And I met him a few times in the MSMA meeting, you know, the manufacturing association, manufacturer association. And you know, Nakamoto is very direct, he's, he's not Japanese. I always job with him. He said, You're not from Japan, you are from Naples in Italy, South Italy. <laughs> and direct. and he said to me, Leave your son, we are looking for a manager. And I said, Ah, okay, and what can I do? And then we were like, Wow, that's HRC asking me to join. And Barcelona Italian, a,
0: an Italian to leave Ducati? Come on!
1: Yeah, yeah. It was difficult because then that was my project. You know, I was the one to convince Ducati to go there. I mean, we won the title, and then, uh, then, unfortunately for for Ducati, or I mean, maybe fortunately for me, two thousand nine was was a very very difficult season because Casey start to feel bad. You remember? Yeah. Also in Barcelona at that race, he finished on the podium, and after he, going up to the podium was he was finished super sick and he he vomited in the, in the helmets and was really bad. As, and again it was he felt bad and then Saxon, it, it seems a bit better, but then bad. And then it was the famous uh, Donington 2009, where the only riders on the grid uh, with the train tires were. Casey and Nikki. Casey was still fighting for the title. was in front row, and it was the only one in front row. I mean, it was the only one, except Nikki, in the all grade, to be on rain tires. So I told him, Casey, are you? Everybody is on slick. Let's go on slick. It's like, dangerous, you know, Casey. When he is. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm not a former rider. I'm not. Uh, but I think that in my position at the time, if your rider tells you it's dangerous in that way, so convinced, how the hell, I mean, you cannot oblige him to no. change tires because on the bike, it's cases it's not me. Well, he's the one going to go to hospital, not you. Yeah. And then I remember we left the grid, myself and Christian that at the time was the technical uh, director of the team. And I said, Christian, is it clear to you that if it doesn't rain, we are fired? <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> of course it didn't rain, of course, uh, it was a super disaster. Casey was really, really strange in that moment. Mm-hmm. And after that, uh, there was the summer holiday, summer uh, break, I, I, I get a phone call from, call from uh, Philippe and say, Casey won't be in Bernoulli. What? Yeah, easy. Back in Australia, I spoke with the father, then I started speaking with calling. I mean, the, the two weeks, we always joke with this friend of mine that I basically I spent those two weeks on the phone. <laughs> At the time, you remember, we had the uh, the battery was easy to remove from the phone, and from I always button. had the two batteries. Yes, <laughs> because <laughs> one battery in one day was nothing. And uh, we were in deep shit because uh, we don't know. I, we, first of all, I was worried for Casey because it was not clear to me and to anybody what the hell he has. And you remember, especially in Italy, they, they start to, to say that he was just psychologically uh, destroyed by Valentino. Uh, but I don't know if it was psychological or not, but I saw him feeling bad. Mm. Um, so I was worried. We went to Brno. That was probably one of the most difficult weekends for my, for my career. It was difficult to defend Casey because uh, the way he left was very strange.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we came to Estoril when Casey came back. Well, you missed three races. You, did, you missed Brno, yes. Indianapolis yes. and Mizano. Correct.
1: Then in Estoril he came back And it was quite embarrassing because another rumours in that moment was that he left because I had a
0: relationship with Adriana, you remember? Oh, God, I remember that. (laughs) Well, I don't remember it. You've reminded me of it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, God. So for
1: me, it was also embarrassing because I I didn't know if they heard about it or not. But anyway, it was embarrassing. Because, of course, there was nothing. But uh, anyway, we were... When we first saw, we, we I remember we had a I don't remember if a Ducati or a Fidi Morris morris uh, deal uh, events. We were in the same car Casey, Adriana and myself. So, and I said, "Did you hear about that?" And we start laughing. And then I said, "Okay, that's, <laughs> at least he doesn't, he doesn't believe it. in this." Doesn't take it seriously. And, and already, Ines really did the podium, I think. Correct?
0: Second position.
1: Second or third, I don't remember. Second. And then we went to. Philip Island, correct? Yep. And uh, you remember in that season for Nikki, we did a special livery of his bike for Laguna. It was a white bike with a kind of big star and stuff like that. And we did a 1098 with the same colors. And uh, I prepared with Amedeo Costa a special livery for Casey. But my friend Arriva Bene said, you know what, Casey doesn't deserve a special livery because the way he treat us. And then I start to fight with him. Because I say, listen, do you remember? The only one that won a title for us is Casey. He doesn't doesn't, uh, deserve a special livery. So finally I won and we did this special livery with the, I, I think it was a super cool white Ducati with the Australian flag. Basically it was the opposite of the standard bike. When the bike was red, it was white. And when the bike was white, yeah. I think it's one of the coolest Ducati ever seen. And you know, so we start speaking about that because you asked me why I went to HRC. So in this <laughs> This period, is a lot on, <laughs> on the other side, I had Nakamoto-san asking me to join HRC. And because I felt that the CEO of Ducati at the time, was uh, not too much on my side, let's say, not Domenicali at the time. Uh, Del Torchio. Uh, I start feeling that maybe it was the right time to go, because what I can do in Ducati, I did. Ah, I forgot that in that break of casing, Del Torchio told me we must do an offer to Jorge. And I said to him, Jorge is just playing with us. He is just doing doing this to make more money out of Yamaka. And if we offer him more money than what we pay Casey, and we have to do it if we want to take him from Yamaka then Casey will know it, and he will be pissed off. Mm-hmm. So I, it's just a waste of time, and it's dangerous. Now, no, we, we must do it. And then you are a manager. You're not the boss of the company. You're not the owner of the company. So if the big boss tell you to do something, you have to do. So I fly to Barcelona. I have to do the offer to to Hark, that, of course, uh, was just uh, something that allowed him to ask more money to Yamaka. Of course, Casey knew. And of course, Casey was disappointed, and I was disappointed, because I felt like I'm here since 11 years. If you don't trust me, why? I mean,
0: yeah, You've got to listen to me. You've got to listen you know, to me. Mr. know? On the other
1: side, there was uh, a Japanese guy, very clever, very smart, very funny, that was showing me trust and uh, that he wanted to work with me. So basically we were in uh, Phillip Island and he told me, some, for me it's okay, but you have to speak with uh, uh, the president, Suzuki-san. So on Monday after Philippine Island, I changed my, I mean, I buy a ticket to fly from Philippines, Island, I mean to, from uh, Melbourne to Tokyo. And we went out for dinner on Tuesday night, I think, or Monday, I don't remember. Nakamoto-san, Suzuki-san, and myself. And until that point, Nakamoto always spoke about a three years contract. And during the dinner, he told me, hmm, Vivio-san, hmm. We thought, hmm, three years, hmm. And I started thinking, I, now he offered me one year, and it's difficult to say yes maybe five or 10, what do you think? Holy smoke. And you know, when you start thinking, wow, on the other side, I need to fight to do what I think is correct. On this side, they they almost don't know me and they are offering me 10 years contract. (laughs) I felt very good. and, uh, And then, as we said before, it was the beginning of my career was anyway related and linked. To HRC, so when I rejoined HRC, I, there's, there was a lot of people that I met and I knew since years, and uh, it's been super, super nice. Wow,
0: <clears throat> what a story! What a story! You, you, you um, you've already said it. You know, you and Mister Nakamoto, Shuhei Nakamoto, mm-hmm. you were quite a formidable pairing. We always did. Did you almost look at him as your boss or as a teammate? Did he look at you as underneath him or? did he just get you to do the european stuff and he would do the japanese politics what was that kind of of course
1: he was of course he was my boss but the good thing is that we 99% of the time we had the same idea of how to run the team uh, of course he was totally involved in the management of the japanese side uh, and nakamoto i think was the only one able to deal with these big bosses with both that's why Nakamoto had a lot of enemies inside of HRC because at the end of the day he was too too European to be a, to be a big boss of HRC. So I think Nakamoto is is a, a very super clever guy uh, with a, with a very open mind. And uh, it, it's a big uh, pity that HRC has lost it.
0: I, I agree. I agree. But was there was there quite a bit of pressure on you guys to win that last season of the 800 CC formula in 2011?
1: But not because it was the last season of 800. It's just because uh, HRC from 2004, when Valentino left, uh, they, in seven years, they only won one title with Nikki, and with all respect for Niki, with some—I'm uh, not saying luck, but let's say for sure—with bad luck of Valentino, because Valentino that season had uh, engine uh, blow-ups, 28 20 years catching in engine blowing, tire problem, uh, the yeah. crash of Valencia. I mean, he had a four of four or five bad yeah. luck, or at least a bad yeah. moment. You take away one of these five and it was worth champion. Well,
0: yeah. that's the way it Cookie crumbles. And yeah, we that's like the way it. I mean, that uh, yeah. season,
1: I think, was written that Nikki had to win. Nikki passed away very young in a very stupid way. And he won a title in which he won Laguna Seca and Ascent, basically because Colin crashed in the last weekend. Do you remember?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, don't, I, I said on the commentary, I want them both to win.
1: So. <laughs> So, Nicky won in all his career, three races, two in Laguna and one by accident in Assen. And I loved it, Nicky. And Nicky was a super cool guy, super nice. Uh, uh, he was the demonstration that he, with determination and uh, connection, oh. you can get good results. Oh. So, I'm super proud that Nikki won the title, but with all respect for Nikki, Valentino at the time was still stronger.
0: Mm. I think, I think, I know what you're saying, and we don't want to speak bad of Nikki because he was no, 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 still is our friend. But, but it's it. You could say the same of Mia last year. He was just in the right place at the right time, and he was super consistent. Arguably, I say about 2006 that Yamaha lost Valentino the championship. I mean, one thing I I need to go back a little bit, Livio, is how did you get Casey out of Ducati to Honda? Was that a you thing? Did you think that Honda took you just to get Casey?
1: That's what I thought and what I told Nakamoto san. And he said to me, Livio san, that's not true. I think you can do much more. Because Nakamoto san had a vision, he knew that the sponsor budget of Ducati was bigger than the sponsor budget of HSC. And uh, Nakamoto-san is not stupid. He knew that uh, if he starts speaking with Casey, he would have been able to convince him, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, it was easier. And I remember when I signed, when we shake hands with uh, Casey and calling in Harats 2010, uh, I came back and said, OK, Nakamoto, deal done. We pay this, this, this. And Nakamoto-san told me, I'm surprised so quickly and for such a reasonable price. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, for me was uh, I never offer so much money to a
0: rider, but <laughs> for Nakamoto, it was still a reasonable price. Just let's finish with with HRC, shall we? Um, Casey's retirements after he won the title with HRC then came at Le Mans in 2012. Was that as fast and as from the moon out of nowhere as we got the impression at the time? Or how did it unravel? Well, 2012 was, a
1: since the beginning, a very difficult season for me with, uh, with Casey. Uh, it was not an easy year for me because, uh, unfortunately, we discovered my father had a cancer. And so I had this in my mind. And Casey was trained since the beginning. I think uh, the fact that he won, uh, I mean, Qatar race one he finished third because he had heart pumping, you remember? And Qatar was a race that he usually win. Then we went to Jerez and Estoril, two circuits where he never, ever won. 1 to 5 50 motors never. He both won. Cool. And one of the conviction of Casey was that he, the more powerful is the bike, the stronger I am. So he was super happy with the 1,000. And because he won these two races in circuit which he never won. This is my personal idea. I never spoke with Casey about it. But my personal feeling is that he starts to believe that he can win this championship easily, and then it's enough. Because uh, I won with Ducati, I won the first year with Honda, I won the first year to one thousand, and fuck off, I go. The tension went down. He announced the retirement. He did uh, a disaster in in uh, Mugello, a disaster in Barcelona, and then he had the crash and the injuries in uh, in uh, Austin. Indianapolis. Indianapolis, Indianapolis. Yeah, in India, I said yeah. the India. Uh, And it's difficult a rider announce retirement and goes super fast because he's human, and we off Nakamoto-san offered him honestly crazy money because already negotiation was on a very good base, and when he said no 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 Nakamoto-san said to me I try one more time and he offered me offered him unfortunately not me if it was me I signed. A huge amount of money, and Casey said no. I think more to show us that he was not interested in money. Uh, I, I think when he refused the money, he believed that he can win the title easily. So it was uh, what was as, as I said before, two thousand seven, Casey was super nice, super easy to manage. And eh, two thousand twelve was really difficult, really really difficult. If you do the list of people that were friends of Casey. Ten years ago and are still friends of Casey, I think the sh- the list is very short.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, you see the way he, he, he le- when he left Ducati in his book he wrote very bad about Ducati without saying the name but clearly it was Domenicali, and then he joined Honda then after when he retired we offered him a, a role of test rider he was uh, very well paid to be a test rider, and uh, but what made him disappointed with Honda? They had a meeting. I remember in Barcelona, and he said to nakamura uh, and myself, "Honda is not considering myself." I say, what do you mean? Ah, for example, you launched the new Africa Twin. You should have sent a prototype to me, and I should have tested and tell you what is wrong and what is right. Mm-hmm. And Nakamura was watching him like. Uh, And then he left and he went back to Ducati, you remember? Mm -hmm. And after a couple of years, he left Ducati, speaking again, bad about Ducati, that he doesn't trust him and he doesn't follow his indication. The problem is that to make Casey happy is barely impossible for a company. And it's a pity because uh, if he wants, he's a super nice guy and has a talent. Unbelievable.
0: Unbelievable.
1: (laughs) Unbelievable. So I always say that Casey, with Mark' character, would have won as much as Casey as Mark. Uh, uh, uh.
0: Just another little thing. Um, Twenty eleven, the terrible accident of Marco Simoncelli. You and I spoke that evening. I can remember where I was. You were in in Malaysia. I mean, what was he like to work with? What was he like to to have as an Italian on a Honda? What was he like with his character? He might not have been MotoGP World Champion in the future, but he would have won some races. What was your experience of Simoncelli?
1: Yeah,
0: for sure, Mark was,
1: uh, was special. He was uh, a very naive guy. Uh, I remember I tell you a very funny story. <laughs> his on. first podium in Berno, 2011. Uh, after the podium, we had a meeting with Nakamoto, his father and myself to speak about the renewal of the contract. And I still have uh, somewhere a uh, piece of paper written by hands by Marco, in which he say what he wants to be happy. Uh, it was, of course, a lot of money and this and And, uh, and we start the meeting, and nakamoto san in English, starts telling him, ah, La- La- Marco-san, mm, very happy. Né? First podium, mm, very happy, very happy. Bah. If, now I don't remember, I think Jorge chose a wrong front tire and then it crash or something like that. And he said to him, if these do, two things didn't happen, you are again fifth. Eh? And Marco was like, <laughs> that is telling me. And thanks God, Paolo Simoncelli, the father, doesn't speak English, because if he spoke English, if he he understood what Nakamura said, it would have been a disaster. So they left, and uh, then Marco told the father what happened, And it was a big casino with, they went in the hospitality of Grezini and they were super disappointed. And ah, plus, Nakamoto-san believed that one of the reasons why Marco was struggling so much at the beginning to get used to MotoGP was because the chief mechanic was not expert of MotoGP. So he was still insisting to convince Marco to change chief mechanic. So Marco at that time already did two years with this uh, Aligi. And the results were getting better. But Nakamoto still wanted to convince him to change. And uh, Marco was really disappointed. And without uh, his chief mechanic, he would have not signed. And Ducati wanted him. So after the meeting, I said, Nakamoto-san, we are playing a stupid war. Because we all know that once the rider wants something, we are not powerful enough to convince them to change mind. And Marco will not change mind. So let's give up, it was very, very, very difficult uh, because uh, Marco was in love with his chief mechanic and he didn't want to change. And anyway, uh, probably Nakamoto-san was true. You remember, uh, Marco at the beginning, he was struggling a lot on a MotoGP bike. Yeah. I remember the winter test in Sepang, he was two and a half seconds lower than the others, right? And then step by step, he became a, uh, fast rider. So he reached a good level. I honestly don't know if he would have been able to be world champion if he had talent enough to do it. Of course as everybody else, he should have faced with a talent kind of Mark that is not easy for anybody. But for sure was a top rider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, it
0: was very difficult for Non-Italians, you know, there was something about him. I, I I, remember being at the British Grand Prix on that Thursday when we had the riders come on the stage mm-hmm. and we did the charity event for Day of Champions and there was the Valentino 46 flags, there was the Crutchlow 35 flags, and then all of a sudden there were a lot more red and white 58 flags. And I remember thinking, ah, he's arrived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. yeah he, was, he had something special, something that people liked and it was very natural and very yeah. funny. Yeah, he was a super, uh, you know, super friendly and uh, very special mm. character. It's really
0: a big loss. I always said um, in the words after that terrible accident that actually he and his father would have done the deal with you for maybe 250,000 euros, a free car and a lot of fun. I think they well, just no they because
1: as all riders when you know for all riders money are not important no when they speak about the, with the journalists the money is not important when they speak with the companies money is always the first the thing. Thing. but this is this is normal <coughs> totally understandable they they have this fear that their career is short. So they need to make a lot of money quickly because their career is short. <laughs> so they lose a little bit the sense of reality because a 10-year career with millions every year is anyway mm. not more than any normal people can do in all his life. But they have this kind of, uh, they need to make money quickly. And maybe they are right
0: because look at Marco. Okay. He had no time to, to enjoy his money. Okay, I've got some questions to to bring us towards the end of this fascinating podcast, Livio. So I've got quite a few questions if you give me some, some shorter answers. Uh, Stoner yep. left uh, HRC. Marquez arrived in 2013. He won his second race. He won six races in that first year and the championship. So who was better in your eyes, Marquez or Stoner? Overall, Marquez. Marquez' character
1: is uh, very similar to Valentino's one always positive, always uh, able to see the positive things of the the situation. If Mark was racing against uh, uh, Casey, maybe in 2013, Casey would have been able to beat him. But after that, I'm pretty sure that Mark would have beat him. Mainly because of uh, his approach.
0: What do you think Ducati are doing right at the moment uh, compared with where they were in the last few years? But first of all,
1: we need to congratulate uh, Dallina because I think since Dallina arrived in Ducati, he, he was able to change a lot, a very dramatic situation. The Ducati, after the two seasons with uh, Valentino, was a total disaster. Um, Step by step, they've been able to start winning races and then, anyway, being able to, in 2017, honestly, fighting for the title until the last race. And after that, anyway, finished second behind uh, a genius. Last year, they lost the chance to take advantage of a uh, mark out, uh, probably because of the friction between uh, Dovi and Bellini. Uh, so the company didn't believe anymore in Dovi and Dovi didn't believe anymore in the company. And that was enough to, to, to do a disaster, honestly, because it was a huge opportunity. I mean, you cannot believe that the writer that is finished second three years in a row is not winning the title once the one that won is out. Mm. Um, and I think now they, from watching from outside, uh, the atmosphere is much better. Um, the move to change everything and to put young blood in the, the in the game is paying off. And maybe they will not win the championship because uh, Fabio is stronger. Uh, to me, Fabio is the stronger rider out there. But at least uh, they have a better atmosphere in the team. They have a more uh, positive approach. Uh, they don't have a rider that every time he doesn't win or even if he wins, he say yes, but we still need details, oh. and we need this, and we that that is something that drives you crazy, right? because uh, I mean, it. Can you imagine the motivation to see Jack crying after the podium, saying, "This is the best Ducati I have a ride," huh? or Dovi saying, "I won, but." Uh, yeah. The bike, if we do like this, is not enough to win the championship. Knowing that to win the
0: championship is not enough because you're not markets. with all respect for Doby. Sorry. You Never, know? ever say but when you've won a race. Never. Yeah. I mean, you, you enjoy the moment. And and, and thanks. I mean, yeah. appreciate what was Ducati
1: when you joined and where are you now? How many races Doby won before joining Ducati? Mm. With all respect for Doby, he won... 2009, Donington, and we, we, you, we both were there. It, yeah. uh, it was a super strange race. We spoke about it before. I mean, I think uh, 50% of the, of the of the great crash. Mm-hmm. Crash Valley, Crash uh, Horg, I mean. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, Ducati is doing a good job uh, in
0: terms of uh, motivation of the people inside and everything, so I'm happy for that. Honda are nowhere right now. Do you think you could have prevented that massive step backwards? Right. Difficult question. Difficult no, question.
1: it's not a difficult question. If you watch the, what they have done since uh, Nakamoto and myself left, uh, you cannot expect something better. I think since then they've done only the mistakes. Honestly, uh, the first one was to say to Nick to Danny that he was too short to be a test rider. I was speaking with Mir to replace Dani because I knew that Danny would have stopped at the end of 2018. But then uh, they start speaking with uh, Mir, offering him a satellite ride, and he wanted the factory team. So they didn't sign Mir and they signed Horg. And we all see what Horg has done in HRC. Instead of signing Zarko that was available, because you remember he did the last few races with uh, LCR. They signed uh, Alex, but they fired him already before the start of the season to sign Paul Espargaro, with all respect for Paul, how many races Paul won in his life? So I think from a sport point of view, they did disasters and from a technical point of view as well, because like it or not, if you have a rider like Danny that has won at least one race, basically every season from 2006 until 2016, uh, and then he starts struggling, then I think you need to understand why he's struggling, not to think that Danny is too short to to win a MotoGP race. Mm. And uh, the job that Danny has done with KTM, I think is uh, clear to everybody. So just to trust too much the talent of Mark is dangerous. I've seen it uh, when I was in Ducati because Casey was able to dominate 2007, struggle a little bit more in 2008, then 2009 and, and 2010. I remember when Casey came to, to Honda, he told me last year, I came to a point in which I didn't understand if it was myself or the bike. And I think this is something similar to what is happening now to Mark. These are mistakes, like it or not. In football, I think if uh, a football, uh, coach does mistakes like this, he's fired mid-season, not at the end. Have you been too nice?
0: No, 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 that's a good answer. That's a good (laughs) answer. You've you've done it. Now, here's a difficult question. If you've got the last race of the season, you've got the last corner, and it's the championship to be decided between Ducati or HRC, which one are you cheering for from your television? Oh, this is a bastard question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the riders.
0: <laughs> Very good. Okay, let's anyway, leave it at that.
1: If it's Mark and Jack, <laughs> it's difficult because <laughs> I, I, I both I like both. Yeah. Um, so really, thanks God, is something. That at the moment, it seems difficult to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's say my um. Half Ducati, half Honda, because both companies gave me a lot. I must be grateful to both companies to give me the opportunity to work with them. So for me, if Honda or Ducati win, I'm happy. and uh, I'm happy with the way Ducati is doing now. I'm honestly very sorry for what uh, they are doing with the HRC at the moment.
0: Who was your favorite rider that you worked with in GP over the years? Who was the one that was just fun, the best, or the best memory? easy to say, I think. Uh, well, let's say that one,
1: Nicky. Nicky has been such a special guy. Uh, difficult to explain. Nicky was... Uh, Sometimes maniac, for example, when he starts thinking that I went with him in Pininfarina wind tunnel uh, and he, w- he was losing a few Ks per hour against Casey because he was bigger than Casey and he started doing diet and he was working like hell in finding the, the correct position. So, honestly, I, I never seen somebody so dedicated and uh, such a nice guy. It was Nikki. Was really so nice. I have such memories with Nikki. I mean, Nikki was so nice, so nice, unbelievable. And uh, I, I'm glad that I asked him to replace Danny in uh, uh, Philip Pilot, 2017. No, 2016. Sorry, because of course, doing him living in America and doing Super bike instead of Watch Bill, there was not so many. Opportunity to see each other. But it was a super nice weekend. it did pretty well until I don't remember if Jack or somebody smashed it out. But considering that he was not racing on a mot- on a proper MotoGP bike since quite a lot a long time, he was doing very well. And uh, he gave me this helmet at the end of the race with an it, it the the the. Dedication, are you called dedication?
0: Yes, yes, correct.
1: Yeah. It was something like uh, thanks to have been always on my corner. That was it, yeah. And it was, I I keep this helmet with uh, some, I mean, I have a few helmets of the riders, but this one is the one I care more. Mm -hmm. Nikki was a really, really, really special guy.
0: Lovely, lovely. Mark Marquez, he crashed at Jerez last year and then he tried, well, he did come back for practice just one week later. Would you have let that happen or would you have stopped him? Do you think that Honda could have stopped him or the power of the rider was too much that weekend? I think
1: if, I mean, I know the people involved. I know quite well uh, Emilio Alzamora. I believe that if I was there, together with Emilio, we would have been able to stop it. They did a big mistake. And i tell him, this, not now, that we know the, the, the consequences, but well, July last year was saying the same. I cannot believe that they allowed him to race, because I'm not a doctor, but when I heard that he wanted to race, I cannot believe. That. Okay. I mean, you are Mark Marquez, you want six out of the last seven MotoGP titles, okay. If you miss three races, four races, you still have a chance to win. Yeah, but it's more important your future more than this championship. It's not that if you don't win the championship, it's the end of the world.
0: What uh, What are you doing now with your mountain bikes? How did that come about? Uh,
1: Is Is doing more. Let's say that on one side, we must be happy because we are doing much more than what we could have expected in our more uh, uh, beautiful dreams. On the other side, the big problem at the moment is that uh, because of of the boom of e-bikes in general, after the COVID, uh, and because of the COVID consequences in the Far East, uh, Uh, There's a lot of uh, delay and uh, we have to, I mean, now we are in June. We already have ordered all the bikes we need for 2022. And we need to start ordering the bike for 2023. Wow. So the business is becoming more and more difficult because of course, what you do, you, this season, we ordered Double of the e bikes of last year, and we have not enough. So, 2022, we ordered double of the bikes of this season, and we will see if it will be enough or not. But, 2023, what do you do? You double again, <laughs> 22. It's a big step, so it's becoming more and more difficult. But let's say that I'm uh, uh the things I'm more proud is that in a very short time, we build up a brand.
0: Very happy, very happy. (laughs) Might you come back to MotoGP though? I mean, surely somebody's had a word with you. There was a rumor I heard in the winter that Ferrari was speaking to you. No, 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 with Ferrari, I never spoke and I never
1: heard the rumors. I think this was uh, absolute, no. There was a lot of rumors about Suzuki.
0: And just rumors of that, rumors of that.
1: No, in other words, just rumors, they never contacted me and, uh, this helps me to believe, to, to think about, you know, you know, that I, I started the company, the bicycle company in 2016, when I still was working with um, HRC with and I had no idea that I should have left. I would have left in at the end of 2017. My contract was ending at the end of 2018. I knew I didn't want to become older in this world. But I didn't expect to stop one year in advance comparing with my contract. Then the company started doing well, blah, blah, blah. We won the title, and I thought that was more serious to leave at the end of 2017, because for 2018, writers and sponsors were very really fixed. So they had more time to prepare for 2019, because can you imagine to do the negotiation with the riders knowing that you are not anymore there in the year after is mm-hmm. difficult. So I decided when we won the title, I was thinking about it when we won the title, I said, you know what, this is a sign. We won the title in the last race, it's the time to go. Because I want to live at the top. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did and uh, I don't regret. I mean, I'm happy and uh, as I said to another, to an interview to Gazeta sport the only way I should be interested in coming back if he's Carmelo called me, Carmelo Espirata called me and I said,
0: you know what? Would you like to take my place? And probably I would think about it. Hey, but come on, we talked about that 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we? But this, you will know never know we did. then,
1: this will <laughs> never happen. This will but never I happen. I think I still have a, the passion enough to have a good ideas to to improve this world. It is a wonderful world. The Carmelo has done a wonderful job and passing through the CRT with difficult times because people forget easily but the GP at the beginning a lot of manufacturing was interesting then they lost interest and uh, Carmelo was able to have a kind of a, a battle against the, the manufacturer and showing them that if they don't trust him and they don't follow his idea I I do my my championship by myself with the CR team. Uh
0: Livio, it's been fantastic talking to you. Uh, grazie a te, è stato bello parlare con te.
1: Thank you very much. Toby, it's always a pleasure. We must organize a nice e-bike tour somewhere.
0: We we must I will take we you have up a on good, that. Uh, we have a good
1: uh, distributor in uh in UK. Uh, we we, we, we need,
0: need to organize something with you. Okay, okay, we will uh, we'll 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 hook up about that and I'll let our listeners know what Livio Supo is up to. So I'll I'll see you soon somewhere. In the meantime, thank you all for listening into this English chat about an Italian who won with Bologna and Tokyo with an Italian, an Australian and a Spaniard. There must be a joke in there somewhere. Keep in touch with the-race.com for news, podcasts, videos about Formula One and MotoGP. In the meantime, Livio, thank you so much. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao, ciao.